You ever ask the question, God, are you there? I'm sure we all have. This morning, I want to, the ushers have some cards, and I don't know if they finished passing them out, but uh, they have some cards and some pens if you need them or didn't get them. This is a this is such an important message today that I want you to have something to take home with you. But I pulled a couple of phrases out of James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is where we were last week. But there's two particular phrases of scripture. One we talked about a lot last week, and it, it's simply this. You have not because you ask not. You have not because you, you ask not. There's another phrase that is there around verse 3 that, that says you, you ask and receive not or do not receive because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust or another word for lust there would be desires. So today I... I want to remind us that God is always there. He's always present. But scripturally, there are some hindrances to effective prayer. Sometimes when we're asking, God, are you there? The Lord is saying, I've been here all along. But there are some things that we have to address so that the line is always open to heaven. Pray with me. Father, we come before you today thanking you for your word, for this atmosphere of worship. We have reveled in your presence with our hands raised, singing the songs of Zion. We have welcomed you here, and we feel you here. And Lord, today we pull up to the banqueting table of the Master, and we ask you to teach us. Your word. Your word cannot be taught. We cannot receive it unless your spirit anoints your word and anoints our ears to hear. And so, Lord, for these few moments that we have together in this all-important time in the word of God, speak to us like only you can. We'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Last Sunday, we spent the morning talking about prevailing prayer and how we need the power of God. And I can say to you with great confidence that a life of prayer is a life of power. A life of prayer is a life of anointing. I want to see prayer take on such a vital role in everything that we do. Let's be real this morning. Ministry should not be done without praying. Singing should not be done without praying. It doesn't matter how talented the people that stand on this stage are. If they're not praying, they ought not be singing. Because they can be talented, but that don't mean they have anointing. Meeting the needs of the community should not be done without praying. Teaching and preaching should not be done without praying. Praying is what all of us should be doing. For prayer changes things. It's not some abstract 
thought or some well wish, prayer moves the hand of God on our behalf. But I want to deal today with six hindrances to effective prayer. But before we dive into this real heavy, I want to say this, and I'm going to make some statements today that's probably going to cause, cause you to be a little rustled, a little unsettled. But I want to say today with great boldness that prayer alone is not enough. We ask the question, are you there, God? But we can say words all day long and we can travail and, and moan and cry aloud. Our emotions can get the better of us. But if you don't have an open channel, biblically those words to God will not get through. If you aren't on praying ground, your prayers are ineffective. Now again, I know this is going to rattle some theologies, but if we listen clearly from the Bible, God's holy word, and I, I've asked the Lord, I said, no, Lord, I don't want to be arrogant, I don't want to be condescending, I certainly don't want to be judgmental, I want to teach the truth of Scripture. But the Bible is very clear and concise in stating to us that God does not hear a sinner's prayer for just anything. If you look in John chapter 9 and verse 31, the Bible says that we know that God hears not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him does he hear. Now you, you may say, well, Pastor, that was, that was a, a blind man, a Jewish man that made that statement in the word of God. You don't actually believe this, do you? You don't actually believe that, that a sinner can pray and, and there are certain things that a sinner can ask God for and God would, not, God would not hear his prayer. Well, Psalm 66 and 18 says this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Iniquity is another word for sin. Well, you may argue and you may say, well, I, When I was a sinner, I prayed and God spared me from an accident. Or I prayed as a sinner and God kept me from financial collapse. Or, or I prayed as a sinner and I, I passed that exam. You maybe heard this, this saying one time that as long as there are tests in public schools, there will always be prayer in public schools. But I submit that more than likely what happened, if you felt that God helped you as a sinner, is that it was not your prayer being heard. But it may very well have been your godly mama's prayers. It may very well have been your pastor's prayers. Or it may very well, well have been God responding to a soul in a foreign country praying for you, someone you had never met. And as a result of that, God was preserving you in response to their prayers. I say this with confidence that I believe the only prayer God hears from a sinner is God forgive me, God save me, God set me free. In Psalm 34 and 8, 18, it says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. I know people are throwing the word prayer around. My goodness, you see, when a crisis comes to our country, Hollywood stars that live like the devil all week long will talk about thoughts and prayers. Politicians can cuss, us, cuss a blue streak. 
Live any old way they want. Have a, have a morally compromising reputation. But yet when a moment of crisis comes, they want to talk about prayers. And I want to shake some people by the shoulders and say, Hey, wait a minute. Why don't you get your heart right? Why don't you get your life right? Why don't you humble yourself down before the Lord? Have a broken and contrite spirit. Get saved. Hey, there's a thought. Get saved. Ask God to heal you of your sinful life. And then the Lord will be happy to heal and answer every single prayer that you pray. Oh, I know I'm going to get in deep pool today. You know, for a little while, today I want to talk to the believer. I want to talk to the Christian. And I want to share with you six things that can hinder prayer in the life of a believer. People that know Jesus. People that have a relationship with the Lord. This card that you have in your hands will be priceless for your prayer life. The first thing I want to share with you today, number one on this card, is that sin will hinder our prayers from being heard and being answered, even as believers. In Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, a scripture that I love. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. I love that passage of scripture. It's a consolation to me. It's a comfort to me. But if you read on further, listen to what it says. But your iniquities, your sins, have separated between you and your God. He's talking to the people of God. The implication is of a believer. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. What I'm trying to say to you today, what we preach against sin and why the reasons we preach against sin are many. Number one, sin will keep you out of heaven. Number two, it will keep you out of God's will. But let me tell you also, Christian friend, you can weep and plead with God all you want. You can intercede for your family, but you are wasting your effort and the Lord's time if you have unconfessed sin in your life. He will not look at you with unconfessed sin. He will not hear you with unconfessed sin. Let me tell you something. You say, well, that sounds far-fetched. You tell us God hears us every time we pray. Let me tell you something. If God turned his back on his only son when he was laid upon with the sins of all mankind, who in the world would we begin to think that we are, that he would look into our eyes of deceit or hear our voice of hypocrisy? I'm telling you, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Those that actually live for the Lord that are determined that they are going to strive to live with without sin, those are the ones that can call upon God and God will respond to their prayer. God will not listen to you with sin in your life. It's a bold, it's an audacious statement. But see, to sin is to disobey His word. We all agree with that nod at me. Say amen or oh me. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 9. Listen to what it says. This is not me. This is God, his word. He said, he that turns his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall become an abomination. 
Man, that's some tough stuff. Because when I think about abomination in the Word of God, I think about what he thinks about people that live as same-sex individuals. Homosexuality is considered an abomination unto the Lord. So I'm telling you, it's serious business. When you go to pray, it's serious business that you make sure that your hands are clean and that your heart is pure. Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He who hath clean hands and a pure heart. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what the church says down the road. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is we have to understand that we are approaching a holy God and we can't do it carelessly. He wants us to come boldly to the throne of grace. He does extend His mercy to us. But you can't just approach flippantly our God. He wants His people to be holy for He is holy. This is why it's important for me to begin my personal Daily time in prayer with contrition and repentance and soul searching. There's no need in praying for 30, 45 minutes or an hour if I have never even hinted that I've compromised my Christian faith. Now, let me not pretend that there may not be someone here that never compromises their Christian faith. You may go a week and a word never slips. You may go a month and a thought never comes across your mind. You may walk straight all the time and there are no deeds that are compromising deeds. But I'm telling you right now, you you want to talk about a preacher needing prayer? You put a preacher in a building program, he needs a lot of prayer. Well, sometimes I'm not thinking all that great. And sometimes, sometimes the, 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 the words, the thought process, the deeds, the, the emotions, the feelings that's going on, and it's at those times that I can go to the Lord and pray, and I can intercede for every one of you here. And I can pray that God would meet the needs in your life. But I'm telling you right now, if I don't confess and repent over that bad attitude, all the prayers in the world for you will not make a difference because the prayer line between me and my God will be clogged up because of sin. Let me go on. We got six of them. Yay. Number two. On this card that's all important, I will tell you that if you have idols in your heart, it will hinder your prayers from being answered. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, Then came certain of the elders of Israel and sat before me. Now, These are church leaders, okay? So these are supposed to be followers of Jehovah. And they've come to Ezekiel, the prophet, and they want the prophet to pray for them. So they sat before Ezekiel, and and the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel while these men were sitting in front of him. And this is what the word of the Lord said. Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart, and they put the stumbling block of iniquity before their face, should I be inquired of them at all? And I thought, you know, that does make sense. Do we have a right to ask God for anything when there are things or people in our lives more important than He is? 
When your core values, your focus, your attention, when you shifted it toward that one person or that one thing other than God, and that's what an idol is. We can dress it up. We can talk about the, the statues of stone and wood from the Old Testament. But I'm telling you, we're in the 21st century, and we got plenty of idols that we have to battle against. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm telling you. An idol is simply anything or anyone that comes before God. If your wife comes before God, she's an idol. If your boyfriend comes before God, he's an idol. If your child comes before God, if little Susie, who you think is perfect, if she comes before God, friend, she's an idol. If, if money and vacation or sports or education or hobbies or relationships or athletics, don't shout me down here, but if you do things to please your family or friends and you know in pleasing them you're not pleasing God, you've put them ahead of Jesus. Have you not idolized them? Have you found yourself no longer on praying ground? Let me tell you something. We as believers have to stand up for what is right. Not all the time is our family going to cheer on our Christian faith. Not all the time is our friends going to say, boy, I appreciate your walk with God. Oh, I'm telling you, there's always going to be those that come across your path that say you ought to compromise here and compromise there. But I'm telling you, the scripture says we ought always to obey God rather than man. It's God I got to give an account to. And I refuse to allow anyone or anything to be an idol in my life and cut off the prayer line to my father. Number three, another obstacle to prayer is wrong motives. Wrong motives. That's what James said, asking amiss. It means you're asking for selfish purposes. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. Now, let me, let me throw a question out to you today. When you go to God in prayer for a specific need, what is the purpose? What is the motivator behind the request? To give you peace? To make things easier for you? For your contentment? For your gain? As I was pondering that, I thought, okay, Lord, you're going to have to help me here. And the Lord took me to 1 Corinthians 10.31. And this is what it says. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. And I thought, you know, if our daily duties should be done for God's glory... Prayer, as sacred as it is, must be done for God's glory. I had a revelation. I had an epiphany. And then I came across John 14, 13. Listen to what it says. Jesus, and whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There it is again. When we ask in his name, what is the motivating factor behind our request? When Lazarus died, when Lazarus died, he had two sisters, Martha and Mary. And both of them, Jesus showed up four days late. Most of you know the story. And, and he was close friends with all three of them. 
and, and they, Lord, you know he was sick. If you had been here, he would not have died. And let me tell you what, what Jesus said to him. Did I not tell you if you would only believe, you would see the glory of God? Come on, I'm giving you some basis here for the motivation behind. So you ask yourself, well, why, why are you begging God to save your family? You want your life to be more peaceful. Some people just need to be saved because they're just hellions. They're just mean. I mean, I know some mean Christians, but I'm telling you, I know some mean sinners. And sometimes we say, Lord, I need you to save them before I kill them. <laughs> you ask the question, why do you want your family to be saved? So your life will be more peaceful? You don't want to see them die without Jesus? You, it's one less name you have to pray for? I mean, all these may be noble motivators, but the truth is your first priority should be that God would be glorified through their conversion. We want revival, but it's not to grow the church. It's not to give the church membership a larger voice in the community or to keep the lights in the church doors open. We want, we want revival. Prayer for revival in the church is that God would be glorified through improved Christian living. That God would be glorified through conversion of sinners. That God would be glorified through the deliverance of the bound. It's all about His glory. You might would be amazed... The next time you get down to pray, if you said, Lord, I, I really need for you to do this, and I know it seems like it's for me, but I promise you, Lord, if, if you'll answer this need, I'll make sure you get all the glory for it. I mean, he's a jealous God. He said, I'm a jealous God, and my glory I'll not give to another. I know it's far-fetched in church in the 21st century, but hey, newsflash, God still wants to be number one. Number four, a great hindrance to successful prayer is an unforgiving spirit. And this is, this is tough, man. You're getting in real deep now. An unforgiving spirit. Listen to Mark eleven twenty five. These are the words of Jesus. This is New Testament teaching here. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. I'm going to tell you this from the scripture, not from Pastor Jones. But if you have unforgiveness in your heart, you don't have a relationship with Christ, much less an open prayer line. Well, you don't know. I, I tell you, I, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's as hard for me to say that as it is for you to hear it. Trust me. But an unforgiving spirit makes it impossible for God to answer your prayers. Well, Pastor, I do everything else right. I just can't stand sister so-and-so. Well, friend, not only do you not have an open prayer line, but you don't have a relationship with Christ until you and sister so-and-so get it together and get it worked out. Come on, y'all still out there? Y'all still with me? Wave at me, somebody. Would it be a tragedy to think that I'm letting my family members perish, even though I pray for them every day? 
because I have a grudge against someone. Wow. No grudge is worth missing heaven. No grudge is worth my prayers being hindered. Number five. Stinginess in giving can hinder prayer and blessing. Psalms, Proverbs 21, 13 says, Whoso stops his ear at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. How can God answer your prayers when you hoard and don't bless God or his work? Like the fellow that stood up and all of us have done it. I love the scripture. Philippians 4.19. I love Philippians 4.19. I preach it, I shout it, I sing it. But my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we think that is a promise without any strings attached. But that would be incorrect. Because if you study Philippians 4 verses 15 through 18 the verses before in context, you will find out that this was a group of believers in Philippi that had given again and again and again to the ministry. And as a result of them sowing seed and sowing seed to the eternal work of the preaching of the gospel and the sharing of the good news and the ministry to the Christian and and heathen community, they heard the promises of God. What are you saying? I'm saying you cannot begin to expect blessings until you bless first. This, this whole concept of charity beginning at home and look out for number one, it, it hinders God's blessings and the miracles that he wants to send to his people. And there's not enough money in this world that is worth clogging the prayer line to heaven. This is his word, folks. But does God really answer prayer when you rob him in tithe and offering? Boy, y'all are getting quiet. I didn't put that in there. He put that in there. Robbing God in tithe and offering. It's his word. Does God really answer prayer when you hoard and don't sow when you consume and don't bless. Last one. A final hindrance to prayer is a wrong treatment of spouse. Wrong treatment of spouse can hinder prayers. Maybe you heard the story about the elderly couple. They lived together in a nursing home. They had been married for 60 years, but their relationship was strained. They were constantly arguing, disagreements and shouting contests. And the fights didn't stop when they both moved into the nursing home. They argued and squabbled from the time they got up in the morning till they fell in the bed at night to the point that the nursing home supervisor eventually threatened to throw them out if they didn't change their ways. Even then, the couple couldn't agree on what they would do. 
Finally, the wife came up with a great idea. And she said to her husband, I'll tell you what, Joe, let's pray that one of us dies. And then she said, and after the funeral is over, I'll go live with my sister. Word, Bible, 1 Peter 3, 7. Listen to what it says. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers not be hindered. If you're a husband that's here today, and you put down your wife all the time, openly criticizing their weight or their cooking or their house cleaning or their clothes in a wrong spirit, sir, your prayers are being hindered. If you're a wife here today and all you do is call your husband a wimp and a no good father and a lazy slob and you're always overriding his authority as the head of the home, your prayers, ma'am, are being hindered. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in any believer's home. Let me tell you something. This happened in my first church. Handsome couple, well-to-do, nice home, dressed to the hilt all the time. They showed up one Sunday morning. I'll never forget it. She's in a bright red dress and he is in an olive green suit. And they walk in. They've got their little ones. They walk into worship. And they're lifting their hands and they're worshiping God. And that was, it was a small church. And I noticed that he had like three major claw marks down the side of his face. <laughs> Bloody scratches. And they're just worshiping Savior. <laughs> Ah, come to find out, it had been a mutual dogfight. They were beating up on each other. Here's the difference. The difference is he beat her in such a way that all of her bruises and contusions were hidden by the dress she was wearing. You just can't treat your spouse any old way and then come in and lift up your hands and think that you're making a difference to Jesus. Are you there, God? Sometimes we pray and these things keep us from our prayers getting through. I don't know, maybe because in the book of Daniel it talks about it, maybe sometimes our prayers get through and the answer is on the way back and maybe it gets delayed or hindered on the way back because things are not right. I don't know. I guarantee you, you're not going to hear this kind of message in nine out of ten churches in our county. 
But I made up my mind a long time ago, I will not compromise the word of God. We may say it's outdated, it's unpopular, but I'm telling you, I want an open line to heaven. I want to see God move on my behalf. There are desperate needs that I pray for in this church body. Miracles that need to take place. But I'm telling you, I have to be on praying ground. Things have to be right. We say, are you there, God? And he says, I was here all the time. But you got some stuff that's clogging up the prayer line between heaven and your hearts. How about it, Christian friend? Any one of these hindering your prayers from getting through? I think I set up for these a final slide. Can you put it up there for me? There it is. Sin, idols, wrong motives, unforgiving spirit, stinginess in giving, wrong treatment of spouse. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, wow. I know sometimes God says yes, God says no. Sometimes he says wait. He's God, he's in charge, he's in control. But is it possible? That some of the things that you've been desperately praying and begging God for, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart to show you one or two or three or four things here that are keeping your prayers from getting through. Would you bow your heads? Holy Spirit, I am not the only one in the house that needs to pray. I'm not the only one in the house that needs to come and kneel, maybe with that card in their hands or with their eyes affixed on these screens. I'm not the only one in the room that needs to come and say, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. God, there are some husbands and wives that need to, they need to pray together with their hands held. I know this is, this is going to take some humility and some contrition. But the Bible says that you are nigh unto them that have a broken heart. There are believers in this room with unconfessed sin. There are professing believers in this room that Honestly, there are things more important in their lives than you are, Lord. They know who they are. I haven't a clue. Too many of us have prayed with wrong motives or we've been stingy with our blessing and we've hoarded things to ourselves instead of walking in faith and sowing seed. Too many. Too many, Lord, have an unforgiving spirit. It may be a person from their past. It may be a person across town. It may be a person across the sanctuary. And it's not enough just to reconcile with God. We've got to go to that person and reconcile with them. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who this 
I don't know who this applies to, but I've been obedient to your spirit. And I thank you for dealing with my heart and my soul. And so, Lord, now as I open this altar for people that are lost that have never never asked the Lord to come into their heart or maybe they're away from God, I pray that you'll draw them. I also, I also pray for every believer in this room that knows they need to pray. Maybe they can't kneel. Maybe they're physically unable to. Maybe they can come and stand at this altar. Maybe they can bow their heads where they're seated. I'm telling you, some folks need to pray today. God, you know who they are. And I'm asking you right now to draw them by your spirit. In Jesus' name.